This is Life Made Better, a podcast from two coaches with a zest for not only their lives, but yours. In this series, Fleur and Lucia seek out tips, tools, and exercises to inspire you to achieve your dreams and goals. Join us and let's make life better. Welcome back to Life Made Better, the podcast where we interview interesting people that not only inspire us, but so that we can find out how they made their life better and how we can learn from their story and their challenges. Today, we're very excited to be interviewing Katie Marshall. She is founder of Luxley Communications PR and Brand Consultancy. Her clients have included people such as Micah Swearing, Celebrity Chef, Amiga Jaguar, and Olympic athlete Jessica Ennis, and that's just to name a few. She's also a mum of two beautiful children, and we're so happy to have you here today, Katie. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's really, um, it's really good to be here. It's actually my first podcast, so to be on the other side when I normally spend my days organising it for clients, it's um, it's a funny place to be. <laughs> well, we'll look after you. <laughs> <laughs> tell tell our audience a bit more about yourself and how you had come to have this business. Yeah, well, it was all a bit accidental. I didn't ever really set out to have my own company, but you know, our lives take us on these journeys, don't they? Luxley is a company I set up named after my children, Lucy and Huxley. I launched it in 2013. I had to look back to that. And it's actually really easy thinking back to when I launched it because Huxley was only six months old and he didn't sleep. And honestly, the child did not sleep for two and a half years. I don't know what I was going to do with him. And I was, I was on maternity leave and one of my clients called me over for a coffee and he said, come on, Katie, um, let's do it. Let's set up your own company. I'll be your first client. And I thought, okay, why the hell not? I mean, I'm not getting any sleep. And actually, if I do some work again, I can get someone to help me look after my children so I can, you know, actually use my brain in an in a, in a exciting way. Not that being a mum isn't exciting because it is, I love it. Um, so yeah, that's sort of how it all started. I was really lucky because that, that first client was very high profile. And so to have him sort of back me and um, he actually became my mentor for the first sort of three to five years, I'd say. And, you know, we're still really good friends now. I don't actually work with him anymore because he's a chef and we don't do food anymore, food and drink. But, you know, it was it was a really exciting place to be. And, and I sort of think, I don't know about you, but when I became a mum and I went back to work for the first time after having Lucy... I felt like a superwoman. I felt like, oh my God, if I can be a parent, you know, if, I can, if I can get my daughter to nursery and get into central London and be at my desk, the first one at my desk, then God, anything is possible. And, um, and I just felt really like, you know, it is life-changing becoming a parent. And, you know, a lot of people make these decisions to work for themselves after becoming, you know, parents. And for me, it definitely just solidified that desire to sort of try and just do things which serves me better. You know, I, I really, I was, I'm really passionate about the work I do. I love what I do. I take genuine pleasure in it. And I think ultimately I'm leaving my children to work for people. So to have more control on the people who I worked for just became really, really important for me. So that was really the driving force between going it alone. Mm, I'm hearing and I'm loving it. I'm hearing a lot of excitement and a lot of maybe a hint of like, oh my God, this could be properly daunting. But I love how you just took the opportunity. And sometimes, because I don't know, Katie, whether this was something that would perhaps be, you might have been thinking about for a while. And this person came along and said, let's just do it. Uh, I'm guessing it probably was the case. And sometimes that's all you need, isn't it? Yeah. Is like, let's just have the right person at the right time say like, let's do it. 
Yeah, and that is, I think, the most daunting thing. It was really scary. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I also, it was Marcus Waring, by the way, this lovely man, um, this lovely, and he's a friend of mine and his wife is. And, you know, and, you know, you just need one person to believe in you and give you the opportunity. And, you know, I had, I had been thinking about it actually um, before I got pregnant with Hux because, you know, you know, I loved where I was before, but it was hard. And I was, I was a co-founder of a very big, successful PR company, but I worked with some very, very challenging people. And, you know, those people have shaped the person I am today, but at the same time, I didn't want to cry in the loo anymore. Like, I, I thought life was worth more than hiding your, your misery of work in, in the loo. And, and also I was really, really passionate about working for smaller brands. And you, we were working for amazing brands, brands which people would bite their hands off to be able to work and flying all over the world and doing these amazing press trips with endless budgets and things, but it didn't do anything for me. Like, and it was actually working with smaller brands like the Marcuses and these chocolatiers and all these wonderful small independents that I sort of thought, you know, I'm making a difference. I'm making a tangible difference to the way these people's businesses operate and the way they're perceived publicly. And this is what I want to do. And, you know, again, going back to if I'm going to leave my children, it has to be for a good reason. And that's sort of how it all came about. But when I sort of made that decision, I guess Lucy was probably about to... I did start, you know, spending a lot of time with the lawyers, looking over the documents rather than just sending them the, the contracts. I would sit with them and I'd say, can you show me how you do the contract? And then rather than just sending the figures to the accountants, I'd sit with the accountants and I'd say, show me how to run the budget. So actually when it came to launching my own company, I knew how to write contracts. I knew how to do budgets. I didn't know how to do it perfectly, but I knew enough. And actually, Marcus gave me a really, really good piece of advice because when I launched, by the nature of the work I was in, I had a lot of contacts and a lot of people said to me, oh, Katie, can you help me? Can you work with me? I know you'll be cheaper because you're solo kind of thing. And I suddenly had about three or four people wanting to work with me, which was amazing. But I had a six-month-old baby and a three-year-old and a husband who also needed some attention. <laughs> and, 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 um, and Marcus actually just said, do you know what, Katie, just focus on getting me right. Like do, do this job properly and then everything else will follow. Like don't take on too much. And that is something I tell everybody today. It's like, just be patient. Like don't take on too much and just do what you do to the very best of your abilities and lay down that sort of super strong foundation from launch and then build from there. Because otherwise what I would have done is I would have taken on three or four clients. I would have not been able to service them properly. And I would have got myself in a pickle. And from day one, my reputation wouldn't have been what it was, what it should have been kind of thing. Yeah, I hear a lot from um, small businesses, how they grow too quickly and then they can't cope with what they grow. And I think you're right. It's about building that really strong foundation as well and being really clear about why you're actually doing this. And it sounds to me that you were doing it to work around your children in a beneficial way and yeah. still keep a piece of you. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I think it is something which, and it's easy for me to say it now because I'm seven years in, but it all goes back to, I believe that anyone can be successful if they are passionate about what they are doing. And success doesn't become, doesn't, you don't need to be a millionaire to be successful, you know? And I think a lot of people, um, it's really easy, particularly in the social media world we live in, where, you know, the reality is so different from the truth. I mean, the, the, the perception is so different from the reality that, you know, we got caught up in this bubble of perfectness and everyone thinks that everyone's rich and, and they have nice lives and they 
they have perfect children and they're this and they're that and the other. And, and it's really easy to get caught up in that. But actually, you know, I think it is, you know, what, what does success look like for you? Is that been able to work and spend time with your children? Is it been able to go for a run every morning? Is it, you know, what are the things which really are important to you? And, and if you can build your business around that, then I think um, rather than, you know, rather than being the best PR company in London, I don't want to be the best PR company in London because there are some really, really good agencies out there. I just want to do really, really, really good work for really good people. And, you know, and that serves me absolutely fine. And, and, and I think, you know, that's something which, and I've learned that from other people as well about, you know, not looking over your shoulder too much and not getting carried away and consumed by what other people are doing. Yes, you have to be aware of what your competitors are doing in any market and you're in, but don't waste your time trying to be them. Really own your own success, own your own values and share those and build your business from that. Because otherwise you're just, you're never going to have your own brand identity if you're trying to be amalgamation of lots of other people yeah Yeah, what I'm hearing as well is that real authenticity yeah it's so important and the first time I spoke to you I because I've come to you myself to talk about PR and branding and I just felt that real honesty that you really did care and I think you can't you can't fake it people's No, and you know what? It's so obvious, isn't it? And it's like you can't figure client relationship. Like when I met you, Flo, I absolutely loved you. But, you know, if, if when we met and we spent that afternoon, that one hour turned into four chatting, you know, if, if we didn't bond, we wouldn't have bonded, you know, but we did and we got along really well and we had, you know, shared interests. And the same goes for all of our clients who we work with today. There's been some brands who we've worked with or pitched for, and I've gone into the pitch really excited, working so hard. And then I've got there and I got, oh my God, I don't like them. Oh no. Oh God, what am I going to do? And, and we walk away and we win the pitch. And then I have to go back and say, I'm really sorry, we don't want it. And people think I'm mad, honestly. Like people think I'm a lunatic to turn down business. But if I know that that business is, is not going to make any of us happy. And at the end of the day, the money we can earn from it, if it's going to make us miserable for six months, then what's the point? It's not worth it. I'm hearing two things that I think is really worth reflecting on because the first one is just find what works for you and do it, which plenty of us, and you said it, Kate, especially in this social media age where we just look at our screen, keep on scrolling, and we think that what they're doing is what we should be doing. Taking that step, and I'm going to call it brave step because sometimes it is, of actually looking at that screen and saying, yeah, that all looks beautiful. It looks fantastic, but it's not for me. Yeah. I'm happy with walking my dog here and I don't need anything else. Exactly. That's that's it. I think that goes to show like, you know, we all are in control of what we see. We are all as individuals completely in control of the media we consume, the people we follow on Instagram. If you're following brands or people on Instagram and they don't make you feel good about yourself or excited, don't follow them. Like, you know, you don't have to follow that person. Like, I don't follow Kim Kardashian because I don't really care. Like, I know she's a global superstar, but I don't really care what Kim Kardashian does. But when my friends send me funny stuff, I will enjoy that. And I'm not, no, no discredit to Kim, but I don't want my feed filled with Kim. I want my feed filled with other things. So it is like, I think it is one of those things that we are all in control of what we choose to see. Mm. And everyone needs to remember that. 
Like um, we work with an amazing guy called Alistair Gray, who is absolutely brilliant on helping people reduce their screen time. He's a, a mindset, an executive coach and mindset expert. And he, you know, he did this brilliant piece. Um, I think it was for Grazia around like reducing screen time. I'll share it with you both. And, and it really was like, you are in control. It's not rocket science. Like, you know, don't put yourself through the torture. You don't have to. You just have to be so careful. We're in an age of information overload. And if we are what we feed ourselves, not just nutritionally, but, you know, mentally. And if we're following people or reading stuff that is toxic for us, it it's just causes more suffering when we can feed ourselves so much positivity. There's so much amazing mm. stuff on the internet. Yeah. And I think we are not aware, and this is one of the things that is worth flagging, we are not aware of how that is affecting our subconscious because you may be able to walk away from that screen and think, like, we're enough of this. But those images, those messages are keeping lingering in your brain. And this is something that you take into bed when your brain is offloading everything you've learned and seen through the day and it's filtering those through and saying, this is what you want. So no, you know, no wonder why we feel demotivated or more stressed because we are feeding those cells with those dreams that actually are not even ours, but you're feeding it and your brain doesn't know any difference. It just takes the information and runs away with it as if it was the reality or the dream that you're seeking to fulfill when it's not the reality, which is why, you know, Flair and I have been saying that in this podcast a number of times. It's so very important that you choose what information and what content you feed into your brain because that's going to cascade, that's going to go onto your own projections and shapes your reality when it's a reality that you don't even want. Exactly. And we, we all know that, particularly you two and the work you do, but like, you know, to change your conscious behavior and your conscious thinking is easy. It's easy. You just do something, you don't do something. But to change your subconscious, all of that, like you were just saying, which is in you, it's like rooted, embedded in you. It takes a lot more work to change subconscious behaviors. So the first step is, don't torture yourself by watching or viewing and things like, you know, when COVID first hit, you know, I'm a worrier. I'm a massive worrier. I catastrophize things. And I'm, I've learned a lot about getting better at that. But I just had to stop watching the news. It was, I'd go to bed like shaking in panic. And I remember when, when the first lockdown went, when we first went into lockdown, I went for a run with my daughter. She's 10 and she loves running and she's so much better than me. It's so embarrassing. I'm like, please slow down, mommy. <laughs> and um, we were running through Wimbledon Common and we, we went through like the golf course and it's actually a really narrow path. And on that path, we ran past like three or four people and I got home and I was really panicked because I said to my husband, I was like, oh my God, I literally exposed Lucy to three people. Like we were literally running past each other. And Tom was just like, calm down, Katie. It's absolutely fine. But the reason why I got myself into such a panic was because I was literally absorbing all of this negative reporting and this scaremongering. And I, you know, I understand why the media did it. Did it. I, I, you know, what I do. I work with the media to shape and form opinions and impact people, but they successfully scared us all, didn't they? And, but, you know, scaring us got us to stay at home, but it also can affect people on much deeper levels. And, you know, my sister's a GP and we talk about all of this all the time and the fallout on mental health in this country, all over the world, not just in this country, is just immense. I mean, you know, I really, really feel for absolutely everybody living through this 
very, very strange times that we're living in. Fear is huge anyway. And if you're putting people in a fear state all of the time, actually yeah. their perception and awareness they've proven through neuroscience is, yeah. is narrowed. So actually being putting people in fear only helps in a short time. And then people actually don't bother doing anything. Mm -hmm. So it's much better to actually encourage people to do the right thing and teach them the right facts and they are to put people in fear. And also I think teaching people, and it's becoming more mainstream now, but teaching people ways in which they can sort of turn off their fear and go into that sort of more... And I'm not going to get all technical because we work with breath coaches and stuff, but you know, there, you know, we don't, we want to get away from that fight and flight mode. We want to go into the, the mode where you can just be calmer. And I honestly think that all GPs should issue prescriptions for breath work. Honestly, like, if they people, or they just, you know, harness the resource. I mean, we breathe like 22, 25,000 times a day, but most of us, most of us are all doing it wrong. And mm-hmm. like, if you just learn how to breathe properly, the effects are just immense. Like yeah. they're so, so powerful. Yeah, you're mm. just balancing that nervous system. Everything yeah. comes from that nervous system. It triggers the brain and triggers the hormones. So if you yeah. can learn to breathe or turn off your mind to meditate or do some mindfulness or go for a walk and slow down. <laughs> There's so many things that we can do just to calm that body and not be in that fight or flight. don't know it and they don't, and they think, oh, that's so hippie, that's so woo-woo. Whereas What's woo-woo about breathing? Yeah. It's science, everybody. <laughs> it's science. We can't say it off, can't we? We've said it a number of times. It is all based in science. It's the same as like gratitude, which I feel is something that we have forgotten or is not yeah. spoken about, especially these days. When you wake up and the first thing that you do is feel grateful for whatever it is that you have or whatever it is that you're choosing to be grateful for that puts you in such a much better place for the rest of the day and it's, again it's based on, on science it's not just woohoo let's just be grateful because it's the nice thing to say right now when you focus on you attract so you focus on the positive things on the things that are going well in your life you'll see more of that so I agree I think like you know media is somehow doing a bit of a disservice in there which I agree and fear is there to help us and to prevent us uh, yeah, from we, the we need to all have a bit of fear don't we otherwise we'd all be bungee jumping off everything every day and there's no not all good can come from that <laughs> <laughs> yeah we need some survival fear but yeah, yeah not exactly but also do you know what I think for today like I bought my kids some gratitude journals during lockdown and they're just either they're, they're aimed at kids and it is like they they do something in the morning and they do something at the end of the day and they talk about they talk about what they're grateful for they write what, what they're grateful for that day and they write uh, an affirmation for themselves. And it's really sweet. My 10-year-old sort of loves it. My seven-year-old's like, nah, I'm not interested. But um, that's fair enough. He's seven. He's, he's like, I just want to play football. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> that's what I want to do. Um, and, um, but Lucy is really, really into it. And she does it every single day. And it's really sweet. And we've got a new puppy recently, of course, you know, like everyone else knocked down. And um, I've been asking her what, because I don't read her journal because it's her private thing. And she said that every day she says she's grateful for her puppy. And it's so sweet. I mean, it's just the simple things in life, isn't it? And also I think it it does sort of, by teaching our children gratitude, because the kids have, they have great lives. They go to wonderful schools, they have wonderful teachers and wonderful friends. They can do sport. They can have puppies. You know, I still want them to be grateful for those things. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So Katie, you said that you're, you know, 
a bit of a worrier you're a bit of an overthinker maybe and you stepped into quite a big business where there's lots of things that you can't control so how have you managed that journey with you know your worries and your fears and knowing there's so much you can't control well it's definitely been a journey I I think I can sit here and look back now more confidently and say how I've come through that than even like three or four years ago. And I think, you know, there is a role of fear that we were just saying in in everybody's lives. And we've got to have that fear factor to prevent us from sort of going off the rails as such. And the role of the ego, you know, everyone thinks that the ego is the sort of, you know, I'm a macho and I'm successful and I'm the best at everything. But actually the ego there is to keep you in check, isn't it? It's to to pull you back and to question you. And, And I've got this you know, this inner hippie in me, which, which really wants to play sometimes, but the ego's like, no, 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 put her away, put her away. She's very dangerous. But then it's the hippie, the hippie in me is like, come on, do this. And just, you know, throw caution to the wind. And, but I've been able to let my inner hippie out because I've had amazing people help me do that. So about three years ago, my big sister at the age of 39 got diagnosed with advanced breast cancer. It was really, really, really hard. She lives in Sydney. We were far away from her. And my mum moved to help her, actually. And, and at the time, I was just completely spinning out. I, I think Luxley had about 12 staff. We had clients who were really annoying me, to, be, to put it bluntly. <laughs> and um, annoying me because they were, I call them energy drainers. They were just zapping all the joy out of the work we were doing. And one of them is a big, I won't name them because it's not professional, a really big brand here in the UK. And every quarter they were getting a new MD. And I was, so every quarter we were having to reprove ourselves. And it was, it was doing my head in. And they were a massive revenue generator for us, but they were completely zapping all of the sort of spark. Like they were taking away our sparkle. And so I had that and I had a sick sister and my mum moved to Australia. My mum is like our branding route. I'm one of five. And you know, so we all were, were a really tight family. We're all here apart from Naomi, who's in Australia. And, and Naomi is amazing. She is the most strong, resilient woman I've ever met. She sort of took her cancer by the horns and she never, ever has pitied herself. She's never said, why me? Which most people would do. And she, maybe internally she's done that, but she's sort of said, do you not know? No, you are not doing this to me. I'm not going to let you win. I am young and I'm at the peak of my career and you know, I'm going to fight this. And so we had all of that going on. And then I had a busy business. And so my best friend, Pippa, um, she basically introduced me to one of her friends who was a life coach and a healer. And I took the plunge, invested quite a lot of money with Caroline to, um, to spend some time with her, to sort of work, to reroute myself, to bring Luxley back to what I wanted it to be. And, and to also find a bit of inner peace for myself to sort of calm these worries and, you know, face up to my fears and move, and move, move past them, move, move forward. And Caroline was absolutely brilliant in, in both from a business point of view. And I remember, I remember her saying to me, what do you think if I can say to you, you can work less and earn more money. And I was like, you are a lunatic. <laughs> like, you know, fine, I'll pay you, but like, no. And she was right. I, I, she helped me shrink Luxley down to back to four staff, but we were earning more money. It was, you know, it was amazing. And, and that wasn't through magic. That wasn't through witchery. That was through solid business advice. And it was about, you know, really choosing um, the team I had around me and the clients we work for. 
knowing your worth you yeah, know that you exactly. were worth more exactly yeah. worth. and then also I think you know it was Alistair Gray actually who who said to me Katie you're such a catastrophizer like you know fine you've had some challenges in your life and some hurdles you've overcome but none of them have ever ended the way you think they're going to end through like death or disaster and he's like so stop catastrophizing everything because it's all fine mm-hmm. and and again through these people and through my own believing in myself and and knowing that i'm really proud of what luxley is and i'm really proud of the work we do because we are good at what we do and we are really good at what we do and respected for what we do but it's taken me a while to be able to voice that because i thought oh it's so arrogant to be oh i'm a master at what i do whereas through Alistair and you and, you know, Caroline's and the, all the wonderful people who were surrounded by daily, they've taught me that it's okay to own success. And it's not, it's not arrogant to, to say you're good at something. It's a really wonderful trait. And I do that. I've got a friend and she's one of oh, the most amazing people and she's always putting herself down. And I always say to her, let's call her Sarah. Her name's not Sarah. I say, Sarah, stop Sarah bashing. She's a, <laughs> Sarah Basher and I'm like stop Sarah bashing but because it's like stop putting yourself down just like own the fact that you are these wonderful things yeah I think that's a woman's thing as well though isn't it from everything that I've studied women are not very good at owning their greatness no no and but you know what it is you know it's easier for me to say this because I've done the work to be able to do that and you know it is a painful journey like doing life coaching or business coaching when I did it originally those years ago, I remember spending the whole first morning crying my eyes out. And I said to Caroline, I was like, this isn't what I signed up for. Like, what is this? Like, you know, I didn't want to just sit here and cry my eyes out to you. And she said, you know, she said, Katie, if I to help you, I need to know you. I need to, and I'm sorry that I'm asking questions, which are unlocking things for you. But actually it was the most transformative experience of my life. Like, and, and it really, it has changed the person I am now, the way I run my business, the way I lead my team, the way I parent in some respects. And, you know, I'm forever grateful for it. Yeah. And so when it comes to anyone, anyone out there, I really would advise them to, to find the right coach for them because it's not a luxury like some people might see it as, or it's not a, a faddy thing to do. It, it is something which can have the most powerful positive impact on your life. And what I love hearing you say, obviously, you know, the fact that you're saying, please come to these people like ours who are trained to help you do that, right? But is the fact that, if I could put it in one phrase, I can't remember who said it, but it's nothing changes if nothing changes. Like you can't yeah. carry on complaining about the way you're living your life or the way business is going if you're not prepared to do some things to change it. You can't complain about all those things, carry on doing the same thing and then expect having a different result. And yes, it is difficult. And I think like, you know, both Flair and I are very clear whenever we're talking to our clients that it is going to be a difficult experience to begin, you know, at the very least at the beginning, because that's when you need to understand all the things that need to be changing in your life in order to achieve that other life that you keep, you know, dreaming about and praying for when you go to bed at night. Mm-hmm. And if you don't let them know that that is the way things are going to go, you're doing them a disservice. Yes. And I think awareness is kind of the most important things that you can offer about yeah. the journey and about how things are going to go. Yeah, change is difficult, but it is so possible. But you do need human support. You know, we've all tried to do it on our own and we can't see our own blind spots as much as we we can do all the reading and we can do all the listening of podcasts and 
we can talk to friends, but having some an expert that actually gets you to pinpoint and be aware of those patterns that you're continually doing and helping you change them slowly is so important. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I really, I just can't, you know, personally, you, I can't vouch for it high, like, highly enough. I don't think that's a very good sentence. Don't judge me on that. Um, I can't <laughs> highly enough because it really is, um, you know, I know lots of people who are, have used coaches, are using them, are training to be now. And surely that says a lot, doesn't mm. it? Yeah, but yeah. I think we used to have these support systems in place, but now because we all live all over the place and we're not so vulnerable and we're not so close as families and communities, I think it, it's needed even more. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges with COVID is the disconnect mm. is, you know, physical connection is so important. And if you're a social creature like I am, not going to have to see my friends when I want to, it's really, really hard. And that may sound a bit bratty, but it's not bratty. It's that I thrive of other people's energy. You know, I love, and that's why I choose who I want to surround myself with. You know, I love hanging out with my kids because they make me happy. I love their energy, their natural curiosity. You know, I love the fact I'm married to a really, really kind man who is like my steadfast supporter. And no matter how mental I am, he will always <laughs> forgive me. Like, I mean, how great is that? <laughs> and also someone who I still completely love. Like I loved when I loved when I met him all those years ago, 18 now. God. And, um, you know, I've said I'm grateful for that. But again, it is just like being able to not having that taken away from you, having the not been able to go and see my mum, it's really, really hard, but it's even harder for my poor mum because she's by herself. Yeah. But she'd be really annoyed with me for saying poor mum because she'd be like, don't pity me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so it's not my poor mum, it's just like, the lack of, the disconnect between social um, and physical mm. is really hard. And I think it's yeah. a challenge which... Thank the, yeah. thank, uh, thankfully, we still have Zoom. We can still look at people, yeah. but yeah, yeah I yeah. totally agree. It works sometimes, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I totally agree. We do need that physical yeah. contact. And people. some people are very lonely at the moment. And I think we need to be aware of that. Yeah. So Katie, can you sum up in one sentence how you've made your life better? That's really hard. And I think I was thinking about this and I think it is to have self-belief to know that, do you know what? I, I don't dream to be the best at everything, but if I can just believe that the person I am today is the best I can be on that day, then I think that's good. I think that's good enough. That is a beautiful way of summarizing it. Oh, but, you know, if anybody's walking away from this podcast, let it be that. If you believe that you are the best that you could be today, that's perfect. Yeah, because not everyone's going to have good days. Like, don't pretend that they are. Like, I remember when I first had Lucy and I, a friend of mine came over and she said, how are you? And I just burst into tears. And I said, it's so hard. Oh my God. And she said, oh my God, you're the first person who's ever actually said it's hard. I'm like, it's really hard having a baby, yeah. you know? But it was just been, been like having that moment of just saying, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's yeah. okay to have bad days but you know let the let there be more good days than bad and you know we're, we're the ones who control that we can control our own happiness so yeah 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 invest a bit of time in ourselves then you know we'll all reap our own rewards yeah always yeah. it always amazes me how people spend more time planning a wedding than they actually do planning their life <laughs> <laughs> and how they think that that's okay to get a wedding planner but some people wouldn't actually get a life coach invest in a coach <laughs> but everybody has to do their journey and yes, that's okay exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah. So thank you so much, Katie. Oh, well, thank you. It's lovely talking to you both. Oh, thank you, Katie. It's been lovely. And I'm sure, like, you know, after listening to you, there will be plenty of people that will be dying to connect with you. So tell us, where can we find you? How can we connect with you? Oh, kind. I'm so bad at self-promotion. So if you do want to find me, um, <laughs> it's Luxley, L-U-X-L-E-Y, communications.com. And our Instagram is the Luxley way. Super. We'll make sure to put that on the notes as well. So it's just one click away. And everybody, keep going, connecting and checking out with Luxley. I'm sure there's plenty more love to come out of that. Thank you so much. Happy Friday, everybody. Thank you, Katie. And thank you so much for our listeners for joining us one more week. Thanks for showing us your love and appreciation. Please share the love. Share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit from it. Like, leave a comment and subscribe. And we look forward to seeing you next week. And in the meantime, stay well, stay safe, stay inspired. Much love. <laughs>